Well, good morning, church. Uh, thank you again for allowing me to be a part of your gathering here. Um, I've already alluded to some of the people in the room that I know and have contact with. Um, the piece that I didn't mention to you, uh, Joel and I actually spent some time together at college, uh, a couple of classes. Um, I was a part-time student, so uh, it was very much a fly-in sit in the classroom, fly out again. So Joel and, the, and I only had some limited points of contact uh, when we were students. And can I say to you, church, I have never met a man who is so encouraging in our Baptist family. Uh, it go, no, truth, no, no, no lie about it. Um, in my interactions with people, if I'm speaking to Joel about what's happening in his life, in the church, uh, he's always encouraging uh, encouraging of others, encouraging of you, the church community here. Um, so I trust that in the time that Joel has been on team here at Erina, it's been a true blessing uh, because he is a blessing to me in my role in the conversations that we have um, and, uh, in, and is a strong supporter um, of what's happening, not simply here on the Central Coast, but right throughout our Baptist family. So, Joel, thank you for your leadership, uh, and thank you for the gift of encouragement in particular that you bring to the community here at Erina. Um, I, I, want you to wonder, I want you to contemplate for a moment what it, is, what it is that you want, what it is that you want for your children or grandchildren. What is it that you want for your children or your grandchildren. Now, I don't know the particulars of where you find yourself in life or what family looks like, but this is a question, given my life stage, uh, that is often on my heart. What is it that I want for my son, for my 13-year-old daughter? And on occasion, when I get to drive them to school, um, I'll ask the typical questions that a parent would ask of their children. What are you looking forward to today? And as a follower of Jesus, I'm asking the question because I want to be praying in that direction. Now, they'll rattle off a great number of things. I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to lunchtime. I'm looking forward to the end of the day. I'm looking forward to school holidays. And I will pray, I will pray towards some of those things, <laughs> but I will also pray towards others. So often when I'm dropping Amos at school, um, I will pray not only for the things that he's mentioned, the things that concern his heart and his mind, I'm praying that he would indeed be somebody who is considerate and thoughtful of other people, because I believe that this is what God, or part of what God desires for any person of faith. I pray that he would be well engaged with what's happening in the classroom and outside the classroom, that he would be curious, that he would ask good questions and that he would be expressive in his response. But I also pray that in Amos's day, he would see God. He would see God. And perhaps that's going to be seeing God in creation. Perhaps that's going to be seeing God in the education setting and the things that he's learning about the world and about himself and about other people. Perhaps it's in the social interactions. But these are the, some of the things that I believe that God wants, not simply for a nine-year-old boy, but for each of us. This question about what is, 
what do I want, what does God want for a child or a grandchild, then extends further to say, well, what is it that God wants for His church? What is it that God wants for His people? What is it that God wants for the community of faith here in Erina? And so again, I'm very encouraged by what I hear from Sarah and from others about what yesterday included, because that's a sense of what is it that God wants? Because sometimes if we just pay attention to the things that we see with our eyes or the things that we hear with our ears, then we get a a mixed message. Because sometimes what our world says, what our world says that our God wants for His people is that He just wants them to be good. If Christians were just good, the world would be a better place. But you spend your time thinking about it for any length and you start to think to yourself, well, hold on a minute, whose version of good and what indeed would that mean? Surely God wants more than simply His people to be good. Sometimes our world tells us that our God wants His people to be quiet. It's much easier when God's people are quiet It's much easier in the community that we don't stand up and challenge and ask different questions and suggest perhaps that kids on Nauru is not a good idea or that policy around certain aspects of what it means to flourish in life need to be rethought. Perhaps if we just pay attention to what we see with our eyes or hear with our ears, then we we listen to a message that what God wants for His church is for them to be quiet. Or if it's not to be quiet, then it is to be unnoticed. Perhaps what you hear or you sense from our wider world about what God wants for His church is for them simply to be busy. I do recall people telling me about bumper stickers in years gone by, which read something along the lines of, God's coming, quick, look busy. And if you've spent your time in part of a faith community for long enough, you know that the church can be a very busy place. There can be a lot on. But we know that God doesn't simply want His people to be active and proactive. He doesn't simply want His people to be good people. And we know that God doesn't simply want His people to be quiet or unnoticed. See, if we just paid attention to what we see with our eyes or hear with our ears, then our world would look a little bit strange. If you just paid attention to what it is that you see with your eyes, then you'll believe that my son will only grow to four foot tall. That's not my family lineage. At six foot one, I'm the shortest male in my family. (laughs) If you just pay attention to the things that you see with your eyes, you would believe based on the last soccer World Cup that Ronaldo and Messi aren't indeed the greatest soccer players the world has ever seen because their teams didn't progress past a certain level. If you only paid attention to the things that you see with your eyes or what you hear with your ears, then you would believe that the Australian cricket team has never done much on the world scale, at least based on 2018 results, or that the Wallabies haven't ever challenged for the Rugby Union World Cup, especially based on last night's second-half performance. If you only paid attention to the things that you saw with your eyes or heard with your ears, then you would believe a message that says that the church and faith in Australia is dying because that's what we often read about in our newspapers or on the results of census night. But if you cast your eyes further afield, 
you see plenty of stories about people right across the life lifespans coming to know of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, turning from death to life. I can tell you countless stories of new faith communities, Baptist and otherwise, who are having a remarkable impact in communities. So what is it that God wants for His people, for His church? Because surely it can't simply be what we see with our eyes or hear with our ears. If you have your scriptures, turn with me to Romans chapter 12, because I think in Romans 12, we have a picture of what it is that God desires, what it is that God desires for His church, and it's not a desire of good and silent and busy. It's a very different picture. Romans chapter 12, what is it that God desires for His church, His people, His bride, Verse 2, Romans chapter 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but indeed, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. What does God desire for us, His people, His church? He wants us to be transformed that we would continue to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, that our lives might indeed look like His life, that in His obedience and submission to the Father, that our lives would be lived in submission and obedience to, to the Father. 1998, I'll give away the game, 1998 was the year that I finished school. Some people right now are like, I thought you looked rather young. Other people are like, hold on a minute. You have a nine-year-old and you finish school in 98 and you have a 13-year-old, how do these things all join together? I found faith in the Lord Jesus in 1998. It's been 20 years and the man who stands before you today has been transformed and continues to be transformed into the person that God has created and saved him to be. For me, this year marks a season, a 20-year opportunity for me to reflect on God's work, continuing to be changed into the person that God wants me to be. Where we live in, uh, in Sydney is quite close to the beach and I'm reminded of the power of the waves to continue to transform the coastline. A number of years ago, um, a, a section of beach near us, uh, Collaroy, South Narrabeen, uh, was heavily impacted um, by um, a high tide and some other factors, perhaps people building too close to the shore, I'm not sure, but hey, maybe there's something in that, the, gov the government's still trying to figure it out. But I was able to stand on the edge of a, a section of our coastline that had been severely damaged and look down and no longer see the sand, but the bedrock. And it was a reminder for me of the power of the waves to continue to conform the coastline. What Paul says here to his church, the church at Rome, and to us today is that we, individually and collectively, individually and collectively are called to continue to be transformed. I'm reminded as, as I look out this morning of those women and men who are more senior than I, more senior than I in years, but also more senior than I in faith. 
I trust that God's transforming work is still occurring in your lives, irrespective of your age or how long you follow Jesus. What does Paul want for his church? Be transformed. Be transformed. He goes on and he says, be servants, verses uh, 3 through 8, seeing others as equal or indeed perhaps even as better. Now, that's a very different message to our world. See others as equal or better. What does he say? For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. You see, we live in a world that says rise to the top, take power and use it, well, perhaps for others, but very much for yourself. And the Apostle Paul writes to the, to the church at Rome and says, no, consider others better than yourselves. Look to serve them. Look for opportunities where your life might indeed be of benefit to their lives. He goes on and talks about some particular spiritual gifts. Obviously, we see Joel's gift of encouragement listed there from the Apostle Paul, that this might actually uh, pervade the Christian community. And any reading of history would suggest to you that this message is not simply counter to our community today, it was counter to the Roman Empire of the time. As I read these words about serving others, about seeing others as equal, if not better than me. I'm reminded of a kid's playground. I'm not sure if you've spent too much time at a kid's playground. We're kind of coming to the, the, to the upper age of kid's playgrounds at age nine. But have you seen how kids play? They welcome anybody and everybody to whatever activity they're, they're doing. And all of a sudden, they have a new best friend that they met three minutes ago. And it doesn't matter where people were from. It's not even a question of, what's your name again, kid? You're just part of what's happening. You've been welcomed. You've been enfolded into what's taking place here. And it doesn't matter what school you go to or whether you're more intelligent than me. If your parents' cars in the driveway suggest that they have much more money or the number of houses that they own or at least the rooms in those houses or the postcodes that they belong to. No, what happens for a child in a playground, everybody is equal. And then everybody gets shot by the Nerf gun. (laughs) But everybody is equal. And perhaps we, the church, need to return to these words from the Apostle Paul. What does God want for his church? That we would look to serve others. It's this funny understanding sometimes in our churches about the role of spiritual gifts. A gift is only a gift if you give it to somebody else. So Joel is only an encouragement if he actually uses that encouragement to encourage somebody else. uh, Sorry, not God, because his name's Joel, not God. But (laughs) you might think of him as God sometimes, but it's not. Trust me. (laughs) Joel doesn't own the gift of encouragement. The church does. And Joel is just the conduit that God chooses to use that gift for the body. He looks to serve others, looks to their needs. Do you look to serve others here at Erina? Do you look to their needs rather than your own? 
I know for me personally, that's a challenge. What what does Paul say about the church? Who are we meant to be? Transformed, servants. And then he says at the end of this section, love must be sincere. Verse 9, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honour one another. This is a sense of otherness here. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Paul says, be unwavering. Be unwavering in faith. Be unwavering in faith in spite of opposition and persecution. Be unwavering in faith in spite of opposition and persecution. I'm reminded of the boys' soccer team that was rescued from the cave in Thailand not that long ago. Unwavering in faith, despite all opposition, despite the fact that all hope was lost. Perhaps sometimes we, the church, we, God's people, don't sing those words of earlier this morning. You are my confidence. I will rest in you. I don't, I don't know what's happening in your life right now. I'm not sure the week that you've come from or the week you're going through, but the Apostle Paul calls his church to be unwavering in faith, to indeed know that God is present. And perhaps this morning, some of you just need to be reminded of that fact from the Scriptures, that God is present, that God is, God is with you in your suffering, that God is with, with you in the tensions that you face, in the difficulties, in the opposition, God is with you because he calls his church to have unwavering faith. Be transformed, says Paul. Be servants. Be unwavering. And while we read them from the pages of Scripture this morning, we all know that there are times where we do not rise to that occasion. We do not rise to what it is that God has called us to. We do not rise to the identity that God has indeed granted us. And in my work in our Baptist family, I get to see stories of stagnation and apathy as well as transformation. I get to see stories of selfishness and pride rather than stories of service. I get to see stories of instability and purposelessness instead of unwavering faith. This morning, let me tell you one story, just one where I see somebody with unwavering faith serving others so that transformation can occur. Unwavering faith serving others so that transformation can occur. Earlier this year, the churches in Western New South Wales, or at least some of the churches in Western New South Wales, gathered together one Friday night. They'd done this uh, annually for the last couple of years where there would be a number of youth ministries come together. There would be some fun because there's always fun in youth ministry. So be praying toward that when it comes to your new youth pastor. There's always fun when young people are in the room. Sometimes it can be a little bit loud. Um, It can be a little bit rough, but there's always always fun. (laughs) So they're in this church gathering and um, as has been the past... um, there was always this sense of we want to gather in in worship and song and for some young people that's one of the first expressions that they've had of that, not too dissimilar to what we've done here this morning and then someone would bring a message 
someone would bring a message that would call young people to faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, some of the churches in Sydney had seen an opportunity here and said, yeah, we'd like to be a part of that. We'd like to participate there. So the music team was gathered from a number of different churches and they provided the opportunity for for worship and song, praise to begin the formal side of the gathering. And then the message was brought by a young woman who was the intern at Thornley Community Baptist Church in Sydney. Now this young woman had been in her formal role in terms of seeing how it is that God wanted to use her in the family, in, sorry, in that family, uh, that church in Thornleigh for maybe, maybe four or five months. But the reason that that church had tapped her on the shoulder and said, we want to invest in you and provide this opportunity is because they saw, they saw a, an ability, but more significantly, they saw a spiritual gift. And so as she was provided some scaffolding, some direction, some support, she brought the message that night and called young people to put their faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, there would have been somewhere in the vicinity of about 200 young people in the room that night. I think there were seven or eight churches present. Uh, The church from Molong had come down, and they're more particularly the churches in the area around Bathurst. About 200 young people there, and as um, she called for a response to the gospel and asked young people to say yes to place their faith in the Lord Jesus, about half the room stood. About half the young people who were gathered in that place stood and responded to all that Jesus has done for them. Now, it's in this moment that the leaders in the, in the gathering are like, okay, we don't have enough space, we don't have enough people, we don't have enough helpers, we, don't, we didn't preempt this. But throughout this year, I have rejoiced in what God did that night as this young woman, all of 19 years of age, with unwavering faith, looked to serve others and see transformation occur for the young people in Bathurst on that night. So when people say to me that the church has no place in our society or that young people don't want to be involved in what's happening or that people aren't creative in the way that they're seeking to connect with others, it's stories like this night in Bathurst that not, don't, simply remind me, don't simply remind me of the power of an individual but they're stories that remind me of the power of what we read in Scripture. Unwavering in faith, service of others, a life transformed. So what does it look like? Let me ask you three questions this morning, church, as we wrap up our time here. Will you allow God to bring about His transforming work here? Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Will you allow, because it's what God wants to do, will you allow God to bring His transforming work here? First in you, and second through you. What's the picture we have from Acts chapter 2, where we see this sense of transformation taking place? Acts 2, 42 to 47, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, everyone was filled with awe as many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord did a transforming work as God's people stepped into all that he had for them. Will you continue to allow God to do a transforming work in you? In you. So that it might flow through you. My second question, will you serve others as, as, as Christ has served you? Will you serve others as Christ has served you? I'm reminded as I read the scriptures that yes, Christ is our saviour, but he's also our example. And sometimes we want to divorce the two. Yes, Christ is our saviour, but he's also our example. And Paul writes to the church at Philippi and he describes our lives as a mirror of the life of Christ. He says in chapter 2, in your relationships with, with, uh, with each other, have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to death, even death on the cross. Are you looking to serve others as Christ has served you? The first church I was ever a part of, the first church I was ever a part of 20 years ago, I remember to this day, the preacher speaking about a man in the church man who didn't have a lot of profile or prominence. He was well-known relationally, but he didn't do a lot up the front, so he wasn't seen a great deal. His name is Gareth. And the preacher spoke about the life serving others that Gareth demonstrated. Now, I assume that he was going to speak about how Gareth was involved in the music team or the kids' ministry or um, the, 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 the morning tea that we'll share together this morning, something along those lines. But the preacher, as he spoke about what it meant to serve others, spoke about the way that Gareth turned up to church always early, always early, because then it gave him an opportunity to connect and be invested in other people. But Gareth would always take the furthest car parking spot. Gareth was an able-bodied young man. And so he knew that he didn't need to park at the front door. I've tried to adopt some of Gareth's approach to serving others. Now, I didn't take your furthest car parking spot this morning, just to keep integrity from the pulpit. But as I drove in, there's a temptation to drive to the front door. I don't need to park at the front door. I'm 37 years old. I am able-bodied. My son's nine. Surely he can make it from one side of the car park to the other, if not fast, uh, faster than I can. 
But here's a, a practical expression of what it means to serve others. I don't need that place. Allow others to take hold of that opportunity. Will you serve others as Christ has served you? Obedient to the Father, even obedient to death itself. And the third question this morning, will you be known as a church with unwavering faith? With unwavering faith. In the face of opposition and persecution, will people know this community, this community, and those who belong to it as a place of unwavering faith? I don't know how Erina speaks of this place. But do they speak of your faith? That you love Jesus, know Jesus and share Jesus. It's not enough just for them to know where you are situated. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here, and all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. It's a message of unwavering faith to continue to point people to the cross, that they too might love Jesus, know Jesus, and share Jesus. Will you be a church of unwavering faith? I'll conclude with this. In my conversations with leaders in our Baptist family, Joel, an exception on this one, absolutely, in my conversation with Baptist leaders, I often come, come across conviction. Sometimes it's not expressed in these two words, but I hear it in their tone. I hear it in their tone and I even see the expression on their face. As they recount what's happening in their lives and even in the community that they're a part of. And it saddens me. They're the two, I think, most damaging and dangerous words that can grip a local faith community. They're two words that can have such a stronghold on an individual that they indeed cannot be transformed. They cannot serve. They cannot be a person of unwavering faith. Two words. And perhaps these two words are sitting in your heart and your mind right now. Perhaps you haven't even articulated them like this, but you know deep down, deep down, it's actually what you believe. Here are the two words, the two most dangerous and damaging words in any faith community that sadly I come in contact with too often. God can't. God can't. And this is how it's expressed. God can't save them. I know that's not what the Scriptures say, but I've seen that person. God can't save them. God won't. God won't heal that person. 
God won't repair that relationship. God won't bring health to that family. Or even this morning, as Joel spoke about a new opportunity that you have sown into, that you have prayed into and that you have given into so that ministry with young people might flourish here. God can't. God can't get somebody for Erina. We're Erina. We're not that church or that church. It's dangerous and damaging because it's not biblical. God can. God can save them. God can use you. God will build his church. So this morning as I close, I actually want to pray a prayer of repentance. And it's a prayer of repentance first and foremost for me. Because if the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 calls me to be a person of unwavering faith, I know there are times when I think to myself, God can't. And that actually limits his transforming work, his transforming work in my life and through my life. I want to repent of that before you this morning as a church. And I actually want to lead us in a word of prayer that we might actually repent of any attitudes that's associated with God can't. Because God is at work here. God is building his church and God is conforming you into the image of our Lord Jesus so that you might achieve all that he desires from your life for his kingdom's sake. Suddenly lead us in a word of prayer. I think we're going to wrap up with a song. Um, But I want to to close our service this morning uh, reflecting on the attitudes that aren't aligned with what we've read about this morning in Romans chapter 12, that we would repent of these things so that God can do all that he wants to do to transform us, that we might serve others, and indeed, indeed, that we might be a people of unwavering faith. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you know us and you love us. Father, we know from your word that you are at work You've been at work since the beginning of time and you'll be at work until the very end. And in your good work, you called us to yourselves. You called us to faith in the Lord Jesus. And you've called us to continue to give our lives to you. Obedient children of the Almighty God. Father, we know that there are times when we reflect on what we read in Scripture and consider our lives, that there is significant disconnect. And so, Father, this morning I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not allowing you to continue to be at work in my life. Father, I'm sorry for those moments where I failed to serve others. Father, I'm, I'm sorry when my faith hasn't reflected your power. Father, forgive me. Father, change me.
And Father, for your church here at Erina, Father, may you indeed forgive them. Forgive them each individually and collectively for not allowing you to transform them to be more and more like Jesus. Like the waves pounding against the shore. Father, forgive them individually and collectively for not serving as Christ has served us. And Father, forgive them for the times that they've said God can't. Because God, we know you can. Father, may you continue to bring about a a transforming work in each of our lives. And as we say yes to you, Father, may others be drawn to Jesus. Father, we know that you love your church, that it is your hope for the world. And so this morning we declare that you can and you will. You can save, you can heal, you can restore, you can, you can, you can. And Father, as we place our lives back into your hands, Father, we pray that you indeed might bring about your good works, your good plans and your good purposes for your name's sake. Father, we thank you we can come to you in this way and we thank you that you not only hear our prayers, but you answer them as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you.